that transfer of energy from the fish through the fly rod is just like, it's unlike anything else. It's time to talk fly fishing, all the way from the tops of the Colorado Rockies to the bottom of Florida on episode 45, brought to you by ReelsandTackle.com. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. All right, welcome to today's show. Our guest for this episode is Chris O'Keefe, who's coming to us from Colorado. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, it's our pleasure. And um, I understand that things are cold and you've got a lot of uh, flu bug and stuff running around out there in Colorado right now. So not much fishing going on, huh? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I've had to take a hiatus over the last couple of weeks, uh, even though we've had some pretty pretty phenomenal weather through this time of year but yeah i got i got laid out by that so i'm recovering from it right now uh and you know um so i apologize if i sound a little congested <laughs> for your viewers <laughs> well uh, you know that's always the way you know it it seems like the sickness or work or whatever it is you know keeps you from going you know when the when the window of weather is right but we we persist and keep trying and get out whenever we can right yeah. Hey, some of my best fishing was when I had to really work for it in bad weather conditions. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. Persistence pays sometimes. <laughs> it, it does. It does indeed. Well, how about let's just start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do. Okay. Um, well, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a resident of Colorado. Um, however, I'm not originally from here. Um, I've been here since 99. Uh, originally I'm from Laguna Beach, California, which is, uh, okay. Orange County, uh, the Orange County area. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up, uh, and was raised, uh, saltwater fishing, um, okay. you know, on, on, on traditional spin gear. Um, and from that, you know, my dad, he, it's probably one of the best things he ever did for me was <clears throat> instill, you know, the, the love of fishing and the passion of angling, oh, yeah. um, and nature and nature actually, you know, um, and, uh, how to respect nature. Um, and from that throughout moving throughout my childhood, I, uh, fished salt and then I gradually moved towards freshwater. Um, and then, uh, because of that, I got a really huge passion for fishing for bass hmm. throughout my teenage years. Uh, I spin spin fish for bass almost solely. Um, and I, I'd, I'd fish for other species, but it wasn't, it wasn't really until, uh, my late, like late mid twenties, um, that I, that I gained a serious appreciation for multi-species fishing. And just to backtrack a little bit, uh, you know, my uh, current employment, um, I'm, I, I'm a waymaster at a recycling center. Uh, you know, I consider myself a, a conservationist. So I like to, I like to place myself um, in a position in which I, you know, I give back to the earth or, you know, I try to contribute to the health of our environment, Yeah, right. Uh, which allows us to continue enjoying the fisheries that we do. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's what I do currently. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I love, I love Colorado. It's a good spot. Uh, it's a little landlocked for my taste. Um, <laughs> not too salty there when it comes to water. No, no, it's not. We got a couple of interesting species here though. 
um, you know, as far as uh, multi-species is concerned, but nothing like the diversity of saltwater. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, I long for that diversity. I long to be able to fish for, you know, cast your line and you don't know what you're going to catch. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say that. And, and growing up here in Florida, when we would go and do fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, um, we would use a shrimp and a, and a bobber and just go out and drift and Man, you just never knew what was gonna what was gonna yank on that line. It was always interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you know, it's it, it always a it's always a a pleasure to see what you're reeling in too. You know, it's an excitement. You're like, oh man, what did I get? Yeah. And then you know, you're you're pulling up a you know a rock bass or a barracuda or a, you know a stingray or a shark or you know any countless species. So it's um, you know people who live live on the coast or live on the ocean are, are quite quite genuinely lucky <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah for the avid angler that's not a bad place to be now however i will say you know what colorado may lack in uh number of species they make up for with scenery in some of the places you get to fish tell us a little bit about you know where you fish and, and what you do catch out there okay most definitely um you know i'll uh, i'll start with our, our state trout, you know, our state fish, uh, it's the, the Colorado, uh, greenback cutthroat. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, it's a, uh, subspecies of cutthroat trout, um, that was considered extinct, uh, actually up until I believe it was the late nineties, uh, or early two thousands. Um, my memory is a little bit off on that, but they, uh, some researchers found um, within like a two mile stretch of an area called Bear Creek, uh, they found a uh, remnant um, surviving population of the greenback cutthroat. Really? And from that, mm-hmm, yep, and from that, they were able to propagate uh, an entire new uh, generation, multiple generations of the greenback cutthroat. And then uh, because of that, reintroduce it uh, to a lot of our um, high, high country, our alpine waters, uh, which is where they thrive. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty neat history behind the greenback cutthroat. And it is a phenomenally beautiful trout. It's probably my favorite species of trout. Um, I mean, I might be a little biased because it's a state fish. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've actually, I, I got to help uh, with some of uh, a, a spawning program with them uh, about two years ago with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I got to go help uh, with a spawning operation with them. Oh, neat. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, speaking of that, the, the alpine and the high country areas that we have here are just, you know, it's uh, it's breathtaking. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of times you have to drive multiple hours to get to some of these, you know, just the parking lot of some of these areas and then hike in, you know, multiple miles um, to get to these waters. And uh, every time, you know, it's it's worth the blood, sweat and tears yeah. to get there because uh, when you get there and you're standing among these these high these high mountains and, you know, these, these expanding forests and this crystal clear high country water and you see these, you know, trout, whether they're, uh, you know, whether they're roaming the banks or whether they're feeding top water or, you know, whatever the case, um, and you get hooked up with one of these fish, it's, uh, it's an unbelievable, uh, feeling, unbelievable experience. Um, because you get to see so much beauty and, you know, in one area. Oh yeah. 
you know, I live actually, I live in, uh, in Boulder, which is right on the foothills. Uh, um, it's about 30 minutes, uh, let's say West of Denver, um, give or take. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to be right, right smack dab on the foothills. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Rocky Mountain National Park or if you've heard of Rocky Mountain National Park. Yeah, I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's one of the, um, it's, it's a prized national park here in Colorado and, you know, people from across the, the country come to visit. And within that park, there are multiple, multiple, uh, high country lakes that are, uh, filled with greenback cutthroat. Oh. Um, and you could spend, you could spend, you know, I mean, years fishing, fishing those waters and learning those waters. How do you fish those? I mean, do you, do you walk in and, and walk the bank fishing or do you, you know, t- can you take a boat in there? How, how do you normally get after those fish up there? So, so typically it's waiting. It's, okay. um, you know, you're either, you're either, uh, wet waiting or dry, you know, you got your waders on, um, I'll, some of the area, you know, there's various areas that are restricted, but most of it is, is waiting, you know? So, um, you hike in, uh, hike in either in your waders or they're in your pack. Um, you can float tube some of these areas also, oh, you okay. know, so some people, uh, get a little ambitious and they'll hike in with a, you know, with a, a backpack and a uh, float tube and, you know, go tubing on the, on these, uh, high country lakes. Yeah. But most of it, most of it is, um, is waiting. So, you know, you'll, You'll you'll be waiting, uh, you know, along the banks or out into chest deep water, um, and uh, trying to get as close to these fish as possible. Because you know, um, as a uh, as a fly fisherman, you know, our reach is uh, is quite limited mm-hmm. compared to uh, traditional tackle. Right. So we we really have to work our you know get into the zone of where those fish are so we can target them. Yes. Um, with our tackle. We were talking a little bit before the interview, so you've been uh, really into fly fishing here the last couple, three years, it sounds like? Yeah, um, you know, I uh, I grew up spin fishing. Um, I love traditional tackle. You know, I think it's I think it's a great way to get anyone out on the water and, you know, to get people catching fish. But when it comes to angling and when it comes to, like, the for me, the intimacy of connecting with nature, connecting with that particular fish, fly fishing has brought it to a whole nother level. Yeah. You know, for me, like when you connect, when you set the hook on a fly rod, it is worlds different than, than setting a hook on a spin, on a spin rod. Yeah. The, the, the transfer of energy that you get when you're, when you're fishing, when you're fly fishing, um, when you're setting that hook, uh, that transfer of energy from the fish through the fly rod is just like, it's unlike anything else. Um, so I was introduced to fly fishing by a coworker a couple years ago and I was like, okay, you know, I kind of, I was kind of, you know, I'd been spin fishing my whole life and I'd always, you know, there's always this, uh, I guess there's not really a, a negative stigma, but, um, you know, people tend to have this idea that, you know, fly, like fly fishermen look down upon spin guys and spin guys, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, talk smack about fly fishermen. Right, right, right. You know, there's like this, this back and forth in the community of anglers about this. And, you know, there, that is there to some extent. There are some people, you know, who have various opinions. But uh, overall, you know, fishing's fishing. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, fly fishing just takes it to the next level for me. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's a lot more challenging, for one. Um, because you're trying to present something you're not, most spin fishing is based off reaction strikes. Um, you know, uh, you're trying to, 
get that reaction strike from a predatory fish based on whatever gear you're throwing, whatever lure, whether it's jigs or, you know, uh, top water or, you know, uh, divers, you know, stuff like that, Rapalas, whatever the case, you know, it's a lot of it's reaction, reactionary strikes. Uh, whereas with fly fishing, you're trying to present something to the fish that imitates something in their natural environment, you know, something that they would see um, and eat on a regular basis. Right. Um, now that, that, that's not always the case. You know, I, I, I'm a stream, you know, I do everything from nymph fishing to dry fly fishing to streamer fishing to, you know, I throw everything at them. And when you're throwing streamers, that's very similar to, uh, to when you're throwing regular spin gear, because it's, you know, a lot of reactionary strikes, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're pulling it real quick. It's got a lot of movement in the water. It's got a lot of action. And those predatory fish go after that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, fly fishing just kind of changed the game for me. So the first few years, I didn't really quite appreciate it as much as I do now. And I think what did that was uh, fly tying. Um, ah, you know, I, started okay. tying I, I started tying my own flies over the last year. And, uh, you know, that, that really changes the whole, the whole world of fly fishing when you start tying your own flies. Because... You know, not only are you trying to learn these patterns that, that mimic uh, or imitate various uh, food sources for any number of species, but it's something that you're crafting yourself. Yeah. And to fool a fish on something that you've made yourself is a wonderful feeling. All right. When we get back, Chris is going to share an epic fly fishing story with us, but from a totally different place. So stay tuned. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. It really helps us to spread the word so we can keep bringing you the most epic fishing adventures in the world. All right. We are back with Chris O'Keefe. And the uh, first half of the interview, we've been talking about epic fly fishing and uh, the beautiful scenery that he has out there in Colorado. But I understand we're now going to shift gears somewhat and talk about fly fishing in a a totally different place. So uh, set up the story for us and uh, just tell us what happened. Well, it, uh, you know, it all begins with me seeing a beautiful photo of a beautiful fish. (laughs) Um, And and that is the peacock bass. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's something I'm sure you're quite familiar with. Um, you know, it's, uh, a prevalent species throughout South Florida. Uh, after doing some research, I found that, uh, the Florida fishing game introduced them back in the eighties, late eighties or something like that to control the invasive cichlid population. Mm-hmm. And from there it blew up and created a huge fishery. Um, and you know, when I saw the first photo of peacock bass and, you know, growing up spending many years bass fishing for largemouth and smallies. Um, I was like, Oh man, I got to get that fish. I got to, I got to put, you know, that fish is on the bucket list. Mm-hmm. I got to go, go after that fish. So, uh, you know, I put a, put a trip together. Um, I had, uh, I convinced one of my buddies, uh, one of my good fishing buddies to come with me. Um, so this was August, 2017. We put the trip together for January, 2018. Um, cause I had done some research and read that the winter months are um, like kind of right before spawn, like January, February, March um, are typically good months to, to fish for peacocks because the weather 
is warm but not you know scorching right right <laughs> uh, um it's it's comfortable for the fishermen i should say uh especially um, the colorado fishermen so, uh, yeah yeah i'm not used to the humidity and i'll i'll get into that here in a second um so you know uh we scheduled the trip and uh a couple months later a couple months pass um trips getting closer and uh you know my buddy and i we start whipping up all these flies for the trip and you know we're like getting really pumped right and then we get some really really sad news and that was the cold fronts um that came through and uh unfortunately you know i did a little research again and i found that the cold front a cold front came through like 2010 Mm -hmm. and totally decimated a large portion of the peacock bass population and other tropical species um, and I was, I was crossing my fingers that that wouldn't happen, but, uh, lo and behold, you know, it didn't happen to that severity, but it did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the cold front did wipe out a lot of the species. So we get, we get to Florida, you know, we're, we're, we're like, we're not sure what to expect. You know, we're like, oh man, cause we only got two days mm. to fish. Oh, good trip. We schedule good a long trip. Yeah. This is, this is just some recon, you know, get in, get out, you know, feel the water, um, kind of establish a baseline so we can come back. And, um, you know, I was hoping that, uh, that the trip or that, you know, that the weather would be a lot fairer than it was, uh, before we got there. Cause I, you know, with any, with any fishing trip, it's largely dependent on the weather and the weather, you know, can, can screw a whole trip over. Oh, absolutely. You know, we were very concerned about that, but, you know, being the anglers we are, it's never not a tough day fishing for us. Uh, we're, you know, we're always out there slaving just to get, you know, a single hookup. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, uh, it's not that we're bad fishermen. It's that, uh, we're out there fishing in all conditions. Yep. You know, we're not, we're not fair weather fishermen. Um, we don't, we don't wait for the sun to come out and for the conditions to be perfect. Uh, we go out and target species any time that we can. Yep. You go um, and you can and go. if it's snowing. Yep, basically. So we show up, right? And, uh, you know, we fly in a flight in Friday, um, and we get there Friday night and we get some rest, some good solid sleep. We wake up, uh, Saturday and we go, we fish for about 12 hours straight Saturday. We didn't even stop for lunch. Um, <laughs> and, uh, to give you an idea of just how turned off the peacock bass were, um, we caught a total of 15 fish. Um, and, it, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, I was, I was kind of surprised by that, but taking into all the, in, taking in all the environmental factors, um, you know, cold weather, cold water for these tropical species, it not only turns them off, but it turn it stresses them out and it makes them not want to eat. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we caught any fish at all is, uh, you know, is a blessing. Yeah. Um, and you know, it started, the day started kind of rough. Uh, we started down in the Lake Ida area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a Lake Ida park. It's like, a, I, I forget the exact name of it, but, um, we started fishing in the park area and then worked our way up north, um, and fished various canals. And, um, I'd say we probably got onto our first peacock bass at about 11 AM. And it was a, it was a small guy. And here's, here's the thing is that I came with the anticipation of, you know, catching larger peacock bass. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had tied up a number of flies, uh, that were larger imitations of shad and shiner. 
Okay. Um, whereas, whereas my buddy, uh, he came, he came with kind of a smaller fly arsenal. Uh, he, he tied up various craft fur bait fish and other forms of bait fish, but in a, in a smaller size. And he, he dialed it in. He was nailing them. Uh. Uh, um, yeah. So, and I, I was kind of like, I was the whole day. I was like, what's going on here? Like, why, why am I not getting strikes from bigger fish? And I started seeing a trend and that unfortunate trend was that along the banks of everywhere we fished were larger dead peacock bass. Oh. And, uh, you know, I talked to a local, uh, his name, his name is Matt Logue. He's a, he's a great guy, uh, Logue fishing on Instagram, but, uh, he, he gave us some insight to that. And it's that, you know, when these cold, he's, he's a native basically. And mm-hmm. he told me that when these cold fronts come through, typically the larger fish die off first, the, um, really? you know, the, like the older, the older fish. Yeah. And, and in his experience, he noticed that the larger fish died off first. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever the case behind that is, I'm not quite sure, but, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I was able, yeah, I was able to, I was able to kind of actually see that, you know, in person because I counted over, you know, 50 dead peacock. Wow. Um, and, uh, and a number of them, I'd say probably about half or more were in the three pound plus range. Yeah. And it was, it was heartbreaking. You know, it was very, it was very sad to see, see these beautiful fish just belly up <laughs> rotting on the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, here I am throwing, uh, throwing gear at them <laughs> for to fish that aren't really there anymore. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the larger fish, the larger fish that are there are very stressed. So, um, my buddy, you know, he, he was catching it. He caught, you know, back to back. He was just catching, you know, a couple of fish every hour or so. And, uh, I was, you know, I was busting my butt, um, breaking my arm. I don't know if you know the difference in weights of fly rods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he 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 was using uh, I believe it was a five weight yeah um and I was using a seven weight okay uh, throwing you know throwing big meaty you know flies at these guys and by midday my arm was just killing me. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you know I hadn't caught a fish yet and I was just bumming and when it comes to fishing, when it comes to, you know, working all day, sweating and busting your butt and you're not catching anything, it starts to demoralize you. Oh yeah. They call man. You're like, I'm out here. What are like, what am I out here for? Like, (laughs) I haven't haven't caught anything. Like, (laughs) um, why am I doing this to myself? And up until the moment that you get that hookup, you're, you know, you start thinking these things. And the second that you get that hookup, that all washes away. Yeah, you know, um, and I I remember exactly. Basically, this this gentleman Matt he told us find the culverts, find the structure that is where the warm water will be, and that's where the peacocks will be. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and so we start we changed our game, and we started just targeting structure and culverts, and we had a lot of success with that. And mm-hmm. I remember it was about it was about two or three in the afternoon. Uh, it was like 70 some odd degrees. It was actually a very nice day, uh, partly cloudy. And I remember cruising up on the bank, looking down, you know, walking the bank of this 
larger canal. I believe is the um, it wasn't the Lake Ida Canal, but it was the one that runs uh, east to west and intersects with it. It was one of the larger ones, mm-hmm. and uh, we were walking along the banks, and I, you know, I got my polarized shades on, and I'm you know scanning the water, and I see this culvert barely sticking out of the water, and I look in front of it, and I see a school of peacocks, and I'm like, yes, this is it. <laughs> and I look over to my buddy and I'm like, Hey man, you know, I'm probably going to screw this up, but just give me a second here. There's a school and I'm going to get into him. And he's like, all right, you got this. And he whipped out his camera. Uh, you know, he had more faith in me than I did at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, first cast, you know, I'm, I'm what I was using was what's called an EP minnow. Um, and they're used for, you know, various saltwater species, but, uh, I tied a few of these EP minnows up in, in shad, in a shad pattern. I, I drop it kind of like at a, at a 45 across the opening of the culvert that's in the water mm-hmm. and lower in the water column. And I wait, I let my, I let my line drop, you know, I let the fly drop not as to not spook the fish. I, I mend my line. And I start, I start twitching it, you know, I start bringing it in across the opening, um, of this culvert where I saw this, uh, school of what I thought was smaller peacocks. I'm stripping it, I'm stripping it. And then bam, I get, <laughs> I get this massive hit and it, you know, it happened so fluidly that, you know, the fish took it. I set the hook. He actually, he went into the culvert. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> If I wasn't, if I wasn't, you know, uh, using a 20 pound high abrasion fluoro leader, he would have, he would have cut that. Yeah. That that would have been all she wrote. Yeah. That would have been it. And I was like, crap, you know, so I, I run to the side of the culvert. I'm like trying to like, I'm sticking, you know, high sticking my rod, trying to get this fish out of the culvert (laughs) and I, I get him out, I get him out. And as I get him out, he darts to the surface and, you know, you know, he gives me some surface action and like jumps out and you know then he dives back down and uh you know i'm bringing this bringing this bass in and i see you know i see i see the peacock come up for a second and you know go flanks flank side to me and that's when i get the real the real picture of just how you know how big this peacock was yeah um and that's when the excitement really kicked in for me um i was like yes yeah man i got one uh because it was my first fish of the day (laughs) <laughs> oh man you know was this peacock at like two o'clock in the afternoon after fishing for like six hours already seven hours already you know and uh that that was could have been the only fish that caught the whole trip landing that landing that bass and having sharing that moment with that peacock with that beautiful fish um was all that i could have asked for uh you know, I, I, I landed it. It was a pretty quick land, you know, um, as I was saying, uh, the fish were stressed. So mm-hmm. I don't think he had a lot of energy. He came in pretty quick. Um, cause peacocks are typically fighters, you know, yeah. they, from what I understand, at least, um, they like, they're pretty aggressive and they like to fight. Um, this guy, you know, he put up a, a decent fight, but not, not as long as I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. So I landed him pretty quickly. Um, you know, got him back in the water and back home pretty quickly but the moments that I had with that fish were amazing. Um, and being able to like, uh, I, I clocked it, it was over 18 inches and I didn't have a scale, uh, unfortunately, but I did, um, I guesstimated it at a little over three pounds. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, cause you know, I got some experience with bass, right? Right. right. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I, I, I clocked it in at a little over three pounds and you know, that to me, that's a good bass. That's a healthy bass. Oh, I know there's plenty, yeah. there's pl- plenty of larger bass out there in this world, but you know, getting a bass that's, you know, three plus pounds, is, that's a good fish. You know, I, uh, I got my moment. I got my moment with the peacock bass. I got, you know, I got my picture, got her back in the water and let her go home so she could grow. All right. Well, Chris, that was an awesome story, man. I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing that with us. Thank you so much. Of course, John. Um, you know, thank you for having me on Telltale Fisherman. Thanks for listening to today's show. We really appreciate you. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show so that you don't miss an episode and to help make sure that others don't miss the boat. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.